All right. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you guys here as uh, we are continuing in a series that we now started a couple weeks ago that we've been calling Creatures of Habit. And if you're just jumping in with us this morning, if you're a guest, let me just say, man, thanks so much for being here. And we are just so glad uh, that you're able to join us on this snowy Sunday morning. It's taken a while, but it's finally here. Winter is, is in full effect. So thanks for being here uh, this morning as we continue the series. If you are a guest, uh, real basically, the reason we're doing this series, kind of in a nutshell, is that we're trying to sort of capitalize on this time of year. And so we know that, uh, you know, it's the first of the year now. We're, we're officially into 2016. And a lot of times with the new year, uh, many of us are in the process making New Year's resolutions. A lot of us are looking at our old habits, trying to figure out what we want to stop. Uh, we're looking into new habits to begin in 2016 uh, in such a way that will lead us to kind of a, a happier and healthier life in 2016. And so for many of us, we're kind of in that process. It's a clean slate. It's a new year. And we're thinking about new habits. And so the reason we're doing this series is almost as a way of kind of speaking into that process. And so as you're thinking about your habits and as you're thinking about uh, different things that you want to stop and start in 2016, we said it'd be kind of cool if we just did this series. It talked about some of what the Bible teaches about habits, some of the principles and, uh, and some of the applications that the Bible gives us about healthy habits and about how those things work. And so if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we actually began this series by looking at the big idea, kind of laid some groundwork. And the big idea that we look together is actually found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. I'm going to show you that verse again. Galatians 6, 7, we looked at this verse two weeks ago, and I encourage you, if you missed that message, to go back and check that out. Um, that laid a lot of groundwork for us as far as the big idea of the series. But the, the verse says this, says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so we said that's a very simple but an extremely profound point that the Bible is making, that a person reaps what they sow. And really, we said, you know, as it relates to our habits, if you think about it, our habits and the decisions that we make in a given day are really like seeds, right? They are the small things that we plant into our life that eventually grow into the big things that eventually will bear fruit in our lives. That's what they are. And we reap what we sow, right? And so the habits that we put into our life, good or bad, are going to accumulate over time and they're going to reap a harvest for us. So we talked about that the first week. In fact, if you're with us, you might remember we even said this statement. We said that the story of our life is, is uh, determined by the substance of our days. And we, so we said the story of our lives, that the scope of our lives, kind of the big picture of our lives is told one habit and one decision at a time. And, and, so, and so really it works like compound interest, right? Our decisions and our habits over time will accumulate into the story of our life. And so we said, man, Habits are really, really powerful. And the Bible affirms that. My guess is all of us already know that. Habits are extremely powerful. But the other thing we said is this. We said the Bible teaches us that there are, uh, there are different habits and not all habits are created equal. Um, that there are bad habits and good habits, for sure. Most of those are pretty easy to identify. But the Bible says there's also good habits and best habits. There's good habits and there's best habits. So, for example... In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the apostle Paul tells his protege, Timothy, he says, hey, Tim, man, listen, physical discipline is of some benefit, right? Working out, hitting the gym, uh, going on your, your diet, um, you know, doing Pilates, whatever it is, that's of some benefit. That, that has health benefit, right? It's beneficial to your health. It lowers your cholesterol. Um, it adds more life to your days. It's, uh, it can give you more energy. So, so for a lot of us, that's what we're doing, right? We're doing those type of New Year's resolutions. Those, those are all great. And I'd say do that. Have fun with that. Uh, but the Apostle Paul says physical discipline is of some benefit. But then he goes on to say spiritual discipline is of better benefit, of greater benefit. Because it has eternal ramifications to it. 
And, and so the Bible tells us that not all habits are created equal. There's good habits and there's best habits. And honestly, for a lot of us, the habits that the Bible often puts forth to us are not obvious. And, and for many of us, some of the habits that we're talking about in this series may not have even hit our radar for 2016. So that's why we want to do this series, to kind of look at the Bible and maybe make some suggestions of, man, how do we, how do we pursue spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines in 2016? So for the time that we have today, what I want to do is I want to talk today about the topic of the, the habit of Sabbath. That's we're going to talk about, the habit of Sabbath. Now, I'm guessing that for many of us, maybe for you, you maybe have never heard a conversation about the Sabbath before, about this idea of Sabbath. My guess is that for most of us, if, we're, if you're a person that sets goals, if you're a New Year's resolution person, I know not, not everyone is, my guess is the habit of Sabbath probably never even hit your radar as a possibility, as something that you want to pursue this year. But here's what I believe. I believe that this is something that we need more than we know. And, um, and, you know, the truth is there are some needs that are felt, and then there's some needs that are not felt. And this is one of those needs that I think sometimes we don't feel, uh, but it is something that we desperately need, is this habit of Sabbath. Um, I think one of the reasons that, that this is something that slips off our radar and something we don't talk about very often is honestly because there's a lot of misunderstanding around the idea of Sabbath. For some of you, um, even when I say the word Sabbath, you might be thinking, that sounds familiar, but I'm not really sure what that is. Uh, for some of you, you might be thinking, isn't that like a, like an old religious practice that they used to, we used that people used to do, but we don't really do that anymore. Like, isn't that sort of what it is? And so because there's some misunderstanding around this topic, and because I think this is something that our culture desperately needs, I think the Bible's going to show us that today. I want to take our whole time that we have today, just simply addressing three questions. Okay. So real, real simple. I just want to address three questions today about the Sabbath with the rest of the time. And here's the three questions. Um, what is it? Why is it? And then how do we do it? It's pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward. Those three things today, those questions, what is it? Sabbath, what is it? Why is it? And then how do we do it? So what, why, how? And that's what we're going to kind of navigate through as we talk about the Sabbath. So let's just start right at the beginning. Okay, so what is it? What is the Sabbath? Uh, well, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you take them with me? And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is sort of the birthplace of this idea of the Sabbath. So I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and flip there. If you can, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, uh, that is not a problem. I think we should have some Bibles under those chairs for you, uh, those black Bibles, and you can grab those and turn to page uh, 52 in those black Bibles. Let me just say, too, if you're a guest and you don't have a Bible at all, just don't own one, um, just do me a favor, take one, uh, make it a gift from us to you. Or if you're a smartphone or a tablet person, you can grab that device, go to the App Store, download uh, our Grace Church app, search for Grace Ohio. You will find our app. You can download it, click on the Medina East Campus, and then there, this passage will be prepared for you. So however you want to get there, Exodus chapter 20. So what we're going to find in Exodus chapter 20, just as we're about to dive in, this is the Ten Commandments, okay? So uh, my guess is even if you're not a Bible person, if you're kind of investigating the whole God thing, you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. And so God gave his people, the Israelites, a listing of Ten Commandments, and so we're going to see that the fourth commandment that God gives is the commandment of Sabbath. All right, so let's check this out. Let's read it together, starting off in verse 8. Here's what God tells his people. He says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter or your male or your female servant or your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, 
And then he rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Okay, so straightforward, that what is the Sabbath? There we have it. The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment given by God to the people of Israel. And basically what the Sabbath was is it was a law that God gave to the nation of Israel. And he said, I want you to take a 24-hour block of time in a given week, and I want you to not work. So I want you to work for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to rest. And that's really, in a nutshell, what the Sabbath is. Now, you've got to remember, back in this time in the Old Testament, this would have been law. So this was a national law, and for someone to break the Sabbath would have been considered a federal offense. It was a big deal for God's people in the Old Testament. So in a nutshell, what is it? That's what it is. It's a 24-hour period of time in a given week in which God's people were commanded to not work and to rest. So what is the Sabbath? That's what it is. Pretty easy to answer that question. I think the more complicated question, and probably the one we'll spend more time on, is why is it? Because that's what it is, but why is it? Why did God give this commandment? And maybe another better question is, why should we observe this? Because my guess is for some of you, and maybe not everyone, but my guess is for some of you, even as I read this, you might be thinking to yourself, well, now hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Isn't this like Old Testament law? And, and, and that was like in the Old Testament, right? And we're no longer under the Old Testament law. Now we're sort of in the new covenant, the New Testament, right? And so we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. So if you're a person that kind of grew up around the church or if you're familiar with the Bible, that might be a thought that you have right now is, well, well, I don't quite understand that because there's a bunch of stuff in the Old Testament, bunch of laws in the Old Testament that we don't practice and we don't observe. So why is it that we would pick this one and look at this one and say, well, we should practice this one, but we can avoid all the other ones. And And I think it's a great question. And that's why I think it might do us well if I just take a moment and try to just explain for a second the the relationship between Old Testament law and between Christian living today, all right? Because this, like I said, this is an area that I think for some of us is a very muddy area, right? How, how are we to understand the Old Testament law? Because like I said, some of it, we're like, you know, the Bible says in the Old Testament, thou shall not murder. That was a law. We like that one. But there's other laws in the Old Testament that say other things that we don't practice anymore. So, so what's that all about? Why, why is it kind of work that way? Um, so let me try to explain the relationship between those two things. So I think it'd be helpful. I think all of us know that there is a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. A big difference between those two things, between the letter of the law and the heart of the law, right? The letter of the law is the exact wording, it's the exact phrasing, it's the action that you're called to. And the heart of the law is the reason, it's the why it was given. And as as all of us know, it is entirely possible to get so wrapped up in the letter of the law that you can miss the heart of the law and thereby lose the purpose of the law, right? If, if you and I focus on the letter of the law and miss the heart of the law, that's what creates legalism. And that's what creates religion. And that's what God is trying to avoid. That's what the Pharisees did. They were always focusing on the letter of the law. But if you can understand not only the letter of the law, but more importantly, the heart of the law, it helps you understand the one who gave the law, right? Kind of helps you understand that. Let me say it another way. So in the book of Galatians chapter three, I'll just show you a verse. This is what the Apostle Paul says about the Old Testament law. Check this out. Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, so the law, the Old Testament law, he said, it was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So here's what Paul says about Christian living. He says, in the Old Testament, God gave the law and he says, it was like a guardian until Jesus came. And now that Jesus is here, we're no longer under that guardian anymore. 
And some of you might know this, the word guardian there, if you pull it back in the original language, what it literally means is school teacher. He says the law was like a school teacher, like an elementary school teacher. And now that Christ has come, we no longer are underneath the, the school teacher. And I think if you think about that for a minute, that's a very helpful illustration because if, what is the job of a school teacher? If you think about it, a school teacher has a very difficult and important job. And this is their job. Their job is inside of a classroom setting to set up structure and to set up rules in order that they can lay a foundation of education and values that will outlast the classroom. Right? That's what a school teacher is doing. Some of you right now are elementary school teachers, and i got to hand it to you. You have an, an incredibly difficult job, and I really appreciate it because it's a hard thing to do. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to give rules to rowdy children. Right? You're trying to herd cats. And so you're trying to put structure in place. And why do you put rules, and why do you put structure there? Because you're trying to instill life values. You're trying to instill morality. You're trying to instill education that's going to outlast the classroom, that when they graduate from school, when they finally get out of school, even though they're not under those rules and even though they're not in that structure, the things that they learned will persist with them in the real world. And the Bible says that's what the law is like. The law is like that school teacher. Does it make sense? Let me give you another uh, example. So uh, some of you know my story a little bit. I um, started following Jesus when I was about 17 years old. Right after I turned 17 years old, I gave my life to Christ. I became a Christian. I started following Christ. Um, Before that, before I started following Jesus, as a teenager, um, I grew up in a house where I had very little rules, very few rules. And part of that might have been because I was the youngest. And so my parents probably were just like, whatever, we don't care anymore. But I had, I had very little rules. So, um, my, so for example, my parents put no restrictions on who I hung out with or when I hung out with them. So I had no curfew. Um, I did not have any restrictions on what I could watch, the movies I could watch. Pretty much anything I did, I could do pretty much for the most part just about what I wanted to do as a teenager. Well, when I was 17, I come to know Jesus, have no rules And the very next year, I turn 18, and I go to Bible college. And the Bible college I went to um, was one that was known for being very strict. It had a set of kind of stringent rules that were attached to it, right? And so, for example, before I went to this school, I actually had to sign an agreement um, that I was going to adhere to a certain set of rules while I was attending the school. So some of those, just to give you an example, one of them was I had to sign an agreement that while I was attending this school, I would not watch any movies— and I would not play any video games at all. And for me, that was crazy. Because, again, I had no rules, and I worked at Blockbuster Video in high school. Do <laughs> you guys remember? You remember Blockbusters, those, those old things? You know? um, I used to, and, and so I had five free movie rentals a week. And I would binge watch movies. And so now I was like, I'm not, what? You want me to not watch movies when I'm here? So we weren't allowed to have TVs or video game consoles in our dorm rooms when we were there. That was a rule that we had. Another rule, uh, they said you're not allowed to drink a drop of alcohol or consume any tobacco products. I had a sign on that rule. Here was one. I wasn't allowed to dance. No dancing. They said only if you're at a wedding reception. That's the only exception. But outside of that, you're not allowed to dance when you're here. Now, now some of you might be thinking, that sounds really strict. And it is kind of strict. But here's what I really appreciated about my school. What I appreciated was they were very quick to say, we don't think this is an issue of right and wrong. Like, we don't, we don't think it's a sin if you dance. We don't think it's a sin to have a drop of alcohol. We are just simply saying that when you're here, we want you to agree that you will abstain from those things during your time here. And so I thought, okay, I, I can do without those things. And so I signed the agreement, and I went to this school. And I have to tell you that as I went through my four years at this college, I really learned to appreciate those rules. 
Now, I broke a lot of them. Just be straight with you, all right? <laughs> but I really did learn to appreciate them. And, and here's why. The longer that I was at this school, I began to learn the heart of it. I began to understand the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law. And here's what I realized. When my school said, we don't want you to watch video games or we don't watch TV or play video games, what they were saying was this. What they were saying is, we don't want you to waste your time. And we know that it's easy to waste your time. And we know that you're only here for four years and that, and that we want something beneficial for you academically and we want something beneficial for you relationally. We don't just want you to build your relationships around a television screen. And so because of that, we're going to enforce these certain rules. Now, like I said, I'm just telling you, I learned to appreciate it because I began to realize the benefit of that. I began to realize, man, this is, this is a really good thing. That, that, and I, I'll be completely honest with you. If I didn't have those rules, I probably wouldn't have done as well academically. And I probably wouldn't have had the depth of relationships that I had walking out of that school. Now, here's the thing, all right? When I graduated from college, I was no longer under those rules, I was no longer under that guardian anymore, right? I wasn't under that structure. But I have to tell you that the heart of those laws are still in me to this day. That there are things that I learned when I was in college about work ethic that endure to me, endure with me today. There's values that were ingrained into me. There's ways that I approach my calendar now that, were, that I learned when I was there. And the heart of the law has carried itself through with me. So here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying the Old Testament was a guardian. It was intended to teach us something about God, and it was intended to teach us something about ourselves. It was intended to teach us something about the righteousness of God and also the sinfulness of man. It was intended to teach us something about the way that God created us, and all of it was a foreshadowing of when Jesus came. Because when Jesus came, when Jesus finally came, he said that that's the fullness of the law. That's why when Jesus did come, you guys might remember in Matthew chapter 5, you remember what he said? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So I didn't come to say the law was stupid and that it's dumb and that it's outdated and that it's, that's not what I came to do. He says, I came to fulfill it. I came to show you a better way. I came to show you what it looks like to live out the heart of the law. And so now those of us who follow Christ, we're no longer under the letter of the law. So I say all of that. I say all of that. And I know I just said a lot. I say all of that to say this. As believers in Jesus Christ, for those of us who follow him, and I know not everyone does, but we are no longer under the letter of the law of the Old Testament. We are no longer under that letter. But that does not mean that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Every time we see a law in the Old Testament, we ought to be asking ourselves, what is the, what is the spirit behind that law? What is the heart? Why did God give that? Right? So what is it? We talked about that. Why is it? And, and I think there's a lot to say about that. I could probably honestly go on and on. But for our time's sake, I'm just going to tell us three reasons why I believe God gave the Sabbath. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Why did God give us the Sabbath? Why did he command it? The first one is because behind it is the heart of creation. Why did God give us the Sabbath? Because behind the Sabbath is the heart of creation. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but if you glance down with me again at verse 11 in Exodus chapter 20 here, do you notice why God gives this commandment? God says to his people, I want you to take a Sabbath. But then look what he says in verse 11. He says, for, right? So because, I want you to take a Sabbath for this reason. What reason? It, in six days, God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. But then he rested on the seventh day and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So you see what God says? God says, the reason I want you to take a Sabbath, he ties it back to Genesis chapter one 
when God created the world. And the Bible tells us in, in the first chapter of Genesis, you don't have to flip there. Some of you guys might remember this, that over a period of six days, God created. God created for one day. God created for two days. God created for the third day. On to six days, but on the seventh day, he rested. And, and God says to his people, I want you to practice this same divine rhythm. Why is that? See, what Genesis is telling us is that when God created the universe and when God created us, that he had kind of woven into the fabric of all that he created a divine rhythm. And you know what? We see it in ourselves, but you guys can honestly, you can look at creation. I don't know if you guys, ever, if you have, this thought has ever crossed your mind. When you look at creation, you can see that there is a divine rhythm to everything. There's a cadence, isn't there? Every day. Sun goes up, sun, sun, goes, sun goes down, comes up. There's darkness and there's light. Every single day, there's a rhythm to things, right? Every month, the cycles of the moon. There's a full moon, there's a half moon, there's a new moon, on and on. We see the whole same. There's a, there's a cadence, there's a rhythm. The four seasons that ebb and flow and repeat. There's seasons of dormancy where the land is dormant. There's seasons of flourishing when there's growth. There is a pattern inside of creation. And the Bible says that God made it this way, that there is a divine rhythm that God has put in all that he has created. And you and I are created by God as well. In fact, the Bible tells us that you and I are made in the image of God. And so God says, the reason I want you to practice the Sabbath partly is because I've created you for this. There is a rhythm in which humanity was intended for. And we see it in ourselves. Don't we have to sleep every day? Ever, you guys ever think about how weird sleep it is? I, can't, I just can't imagine God being in heaven and saying, you know what? Now the man has to slip out of consciousness for six to eight hours. That's important that they do that every day, right? And we have to do it every day. And if we don't, we can hurt ourselves or you can even die if you don't get the sleep that you need. God has made that within us. We are created people and we are designed for rhythm. And so God says, I'm your God. I made you. You're my people, and so you have within you, intrinsically put within you, a pattern that I have instilled. And he says, and I want to reveal it to you. Work for six, take one off. Work for six, take one off. This is the way that I've made you. And God has created us with limitations. We are limited creatures, and God has designed us this way. I love the way Wayne Mueller put it. Wayne Mueller wrote an excellent book on the Sabbath, This is what he says. I'll just read this. He says, uh, to remember the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement. He says, but rather it's a remembrance of the law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It is a reminder of how things really are. Listen to this. I love this. He says, a reminder of how things really are. The rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. You see what he's saying? He's saying all of creation is, 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 is showing us a rhythm. And we are part of that same pattern. It's unavoidable. It's inside of us. God made us this way. And so you guys, whenever we practice the Sabbath, it is, a, it is a loud admission. It is a very loud me admitting that I am not God, that I have limitations, that I am a creature created by God. And, and you see what happens a lot of times is in our culture, especially we try to just ignore those limitations and ride right past them. We drink copious amounts of coffee right? We down Red Bulls and then try to just work harder and plow through things. We try to minimize our sleep and just accomplish more and accomplish more and accomplish more. And the Bible would look at us and say, look, that's not good. God didn't make you that way. He didn't create, he created you for rhythm. Now, no doubt God wants us to work hard. Absolutely. Right. But He says, you're designed for a rhythm. I have made that within you. And when you and I try to just 
just try to go around that or try to do something different. We are betraying our very design, how God has designed us. So why did God give us Sabbath? Well, one, one reason is because it reflects the heart of creation. That's one reason, but there's more than that. Here, here's another reason. I'll give you another one. It's because it, heart, it reflects the heart of liberation, all right? So it reflects the heart of creation. Second one, if you're taking notes, you could jot this down. It reflects the heart of liberation. Now, what do I mean by that? The Sabbath is liberating. The Sabbath is liberating. And uh, I'll show you a passage. I'll, you don't have to turn there. I'll put it up on the PowerPoint. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we see God commanding the Sabbath to his people again. And I want you to notice what he says. Check this out. He says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you, brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, I want you to notice in this passage, the Bible tells us that God correlates two thoughts together. The, 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 the practice of taking a Sabbath, the habit of Sabbath, and freedom from slavery. And now, that's really interesting if you think about it, that God is correlating those two things together. Remember, some of you might remember, the Israelites had been, for the past 400 years, they had been in Egyptian captivity. They were slaves in Egypt, which meant they never had a day off. They worked every day from sunup to sundown, never had a day to enjoy the creation, never had a day to enjoy the work of their hands, never had a day just to relax, never had it. They were slaves. So now they're delivered from that. And God comes to them and he says, now that you're free from slavery, I want you to take a Sabbath. And God ties these two thoughts together. He says there is a correlation between being free from slavery and being able to take a Sabbath. I think if you think about the implications of that in our culture, that has profound implications. Because think about it. Here's what God's saying. He's saying, listen, if you can't take a break, if you cannot take a day off, if you cannot stop working, if you cannot say no, then you are a slave. You're a slave. And, and, and some of you are like, what do you mean? You're a slave to your work. You're a slave to it. You're owned by it. You don't own your work. Your work owns you at that point. If you can't take a moment to take a break and, to, show, and to, 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 to let yourself rest from work, then you are a slave. And so God says in this passage, he says, listen, the heart of the Sabbath is a heart of liberation. You are free from this. I think this point is incredibly important, especially in our culture today. I probably don't need to give you much evidence um, to support this. You probably already know this. We live in a culture that has a very unbalanced relationship with work. Right. Now, like I said, no doubt, the Bible tells us that we should work hard. And so there are probably some of you in this room that when I talk about Sabbath and taking time off, you're like, oh, yeah, I love this message. I love time off. In fact, I want to take Sabbath every day. Can we take Sabbath? And if that's you, if you're inclined that way, you probably need to focus more on the work for six days part, right? <laughs> because it's important, man. You got to work. The Bible says that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I know not everyone's a follower of Jesus, but the Bible says if you're a follower of Jesus, you should work hard. And you should work as unto the Lord, which means you should work with integrity, which means that you should give it your best, which means that you should take pride in your efforts as you work to serve other people and to use your gifts and use your skills in a way that honor God. We should work hard, right? But the Bible says, man, you ought to rest hard too, that we ought to have a day that's consecrated to God in which we can break the slavery of our work. Because here's the thing, you guys, here's the thing, and you guys know this. Many of us lean this way. We don't want to take too much. To, most of us are, are just owned by our work. We are slaves to it. And I just got to say, I put myself in this category too. If I'm inclined anyway, it's this way. I, I am more inclined to just work and work and work and work and work until I'm dead. 
and I think if you really think about it, most of us know this, that many times, really, work is not about work anyway. Not in our culture. In our culture, most of the time, work isn't about work. Most of the time, work is about worth. It's about, it's not about what I do, it's about who I am. It's about what I, I'm trying to prove something to somebody. I'm trying to, to justify my existence as a human being. And for many of us, if we're really honest, that's why we're working. That's why we work so hard. It's not because of the, the task in front of us. It's because we're trying to satisfy something inside of us that we feel like we need to justify my existence. I need to prove that I am somebody. I need to be the best at what I do. I'm, I'm driven because I have to somehow prove that I'm worth something. A lot of times, that's what's going on in our heart. You guys remember the first Rocky movie, Rocky 1? Um, it's it's kind of old now, but it was by far the best Rocky. The other ones were pretty much terrible. Except for the fourth one, when, was that the one with the Russia sequence when he's working out and outdoor? And, and that was awesome. But outside of that, uh, Rocky 1 is like the best of them all. And you remember Rocky at one point, they came, uh, someone came to him and they asked him, they said, Rocky, why are you working so hard? Because remember, he was working so, he was up every morning, drinking eggs, uh, doing one-arm push-ups, running in his gray jumpsuit up the stairs in Philadelphia, pumping his fist. You guys remember all that? And someone came up to him and they said, Rocky, why are you working so hard? Why are you so dedicated? You remember what he said? He said, I need to go the distance with Apollo Creed. He goes, because if I go the distance with Creed and the bell rings and I'm still standing, then I'll prove that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. You see what Rocky's doing? He's saying, I'm, I need to justify my existence. I need to prove that, I worth some, that I'm worth something and that I am somebody. And a lot of times, honestly, if we were just being real honest, a lot of times for us, work is not about work. Work is about worth. And we can become enslaved to that thing. And if we're not careful, we can never take a break and we can never rest because I'm always pushing forward. I'm always trying to be the best. I'm always trying to succeed. And, and listen, when we take Sabbath, the Bible says the heart of Sabbath is liberation. And every time we do it, we are breaking the chains of slavery. That work often, we are breaking the chains of greed. I just need to make more money, make more money. We are breaking the, the chains of worry. If I don't work, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. We are breaking the chains of finding our identity and our worth in our work. I don't find my identity anymore. I find it in God. And every time we take Sabbath, it is a profound declaration of liberation that we are free. So what's the heart of Sabbath? Part of it is it reflects the heart of creation. A part of it is the heart of liberation. I'll give you one more. I could give you more, but I'll just give you one more for time. Um, the heart of faith. The heart of faith. Behind Sabbath is the heart of faith. Um, I probably don't need to tell you this. It takes faith to do this. It takes a lot of faith to practice the Sabbath, to get into this habit. My guess is for some of you, even as I'm talking right now, um, you might be getting kind of mad at me. And you might be thinking to yourself, all right, man, that sounds really great. You know, this idea of taking a Sabbath, that's awesome and everything. But dude, you do not live in the real world. You have no idea what it's really like. And, and if you just knew for a minute what my job is like, if you, knew the, if you knew the demands that are on me, you gotta understand the competition never rests. For some of you, you're thinking, man, I, I'm, I'm in sales. I work off commission. And so it's feast or famine for me. You understand that? And, and for some of you, even as I'm talking about this, you might be getting angry at me or at least arguing with me maybe in your mind a little bit. And, and let me just say this. If that's the case, I'll just, I'll just say, I am not for a moment going to pretend that what I'm saying is easy. It's not. I think it's incredibly hard. And I think not only is it countercultural, um, but it's counterintuitive for most of us. This, is, this does not line up with our logical sensibilities, the idea of just taking a day and taking a break. For many of us, it just doesn't. 
But here, here's why I think it's so important. I think it's so important because it's not that God wants something from you. It's that God wants something for you. Like this is why in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus is talking about the Sabbath, you guys might remember this, God, Jesus said, God didn't make man for the Sabbath. He made Sabbath for the man. God made it for us because he wants something for us. He loves us and he cares for us and he created us so he knows better than we do. And he says, I want something for you. I don't want something from you. I want you to be liberated. I want you to live according to the design that I've made you. And this bottom line takes faith. It just takes faith to believe that what God wants is better than what we can imagine for ourselves. I think this is why in Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah says this, this is a great passage. God says to his people, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight in the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it not by going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, check this out, then you'll find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the, on the inheritance of your father Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see what God says in this passage? He says, listen, if you guys would practice this, if you would do this, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. If you would do this, you would experience the highest joy. You would have joy in the Lord. And then he says, this is crazy. He's like, I'm going to cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. You're like, what is that talking about? I'm like, I have no idea. But it sounds awesome, right? I'm like, apparently God has something good in mind for us. He's like, I want you to take the Sabbath because I got good stuff that I want to give you. And, and, And it takes faith. Listen, every time we practice the habit of Sabbath, what you are doing is you are making a proclamation of your faith. And you are saying, God, I trust you more than I trust me. God, I believe that you understand my inner workings better than I understand my own. I believe that you created me. And as the creator, you know better than the creature. It's a profound statement of faith. It's also me saying this, God, I believe that you'll provide for me. I recognize that my job is not the chief provider, even though you've given me that job and I thank you for it, but it's you who provide for me. I believe that you are the one who cares for my family and takes care of my needs. And you know what? The Sabbath, when I take the Sabbath, it's a statement of faith saying, I'm breaking that illusion that I am somehow indispensable to the universe running. It's me saying, God, you're doing a fine job doing, running the universe on your own. You don't need me right? And I can just relax and I can enjoy your goodness and I can enjoy your creation. Listen, for some of you right now, you are slaves to your worry. And one of the, one of the reasons why you might be a slave to your worry, and, and there's a, a lot of reasons, but one of it might be honestly because you need Sabbath. Sabbath cuts the cords of worry in your heart because you are saying, I trust you, God, more than I trust my own efforts, more than I trust my own hands to produce for me what I need. I believe that you are going to provide that for me. And that's what the heart of Sabbath is about. It's about creation. It's about liberation. It's about faith. All right. I go on and on. Um, so what, it, what is the Sabbath? We talked about that. Why is the Sabbath? We talked about that. Now let's go to this final one, get kind of practical. So how do we do it? All right, so hopefully that gives you a good snapshot of what it's all about. How do we do this? How do we as modern people in a culture that does not typically do this, how do we practice a Sabbath? And um, practically speaking, what are some ways that we can insert this habit into our calendar? All right, and so I want to give you just some practical things. I think if you look at Exodus chapter 20, there's some clues in this passage that help us know how to practically take action on this. So why don't we take a look at uh, at Exodus 20 again. If you notice in verse 8, Watch what God says. He says, I want you to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Check that out. 
He says, I want you to keep it holy. Now, I think that's a clue of how you and I can practically practice the Sabbath. Now, the word holy can sound like a churchy word. It can sound like a word we don't use very often. But here's what the word holy means. It means set apart. It means different. That's what it means. And so I think this is a clue to you and I. How do we practice the Sabbath? Here it is. Take a day and set it apart. Make it different than the other days. Six days you work. I work. I strive. I, I, I earn a wage. I, I take care of my needs. I provide for my family. Six days I work. I work hard as unto God. Seventh day, set apart. Sabbath day, different. I don't work on this day. It's completely other. And so, so practically speaking, I think that when the Bible says to make it holy, what it's saying is take a day and make it different. Different than the other days. A day where you can rest from your work. A day where you're not striving and going through the motions and taking your kids to this, that, and the other thing. Like every other day of the week, this day is different. This day is set apart. So, so I think that's one clue for us. I think there's another clue. If you look back at uh, verse 8 and verse 9. Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Check this out. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. I think that that six days you shall labor and do all your work. Seventh day Sabbath. I think that's another clue. And I think what that's telling us is that this needs to be regular. And you guys hear that in that? He's like six, six days work, seven day Sabbath. Six day work, seven day Sabbath. Six day work, seven day Sabbath. There's a rhythm to it. There's a cadence to it. And like I said, this is what we're designed for. And so if you, if you hear this message, and some of you might be thinking, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about this idea of the Sabbath, but you know what? I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to try it out. And some of you might be thinking, so here's, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm just going to take a Sabbath whenever I feel like I need one. Is that cool? I just Sabbath when I want to. And I would just say, I, I think that that would be missing the heart of this. I think the purpose is to make it regular. Make it regular, right? Here's my recommendation to you. Get out your calendar with your family or by yourself and pick a 24-hour period of time each week which you can say, this is my Sabbath. This is a different day. This is the day that I'm setting apart. This is going to be my Sabbath. Right? I would encourage you to do that. Um, some of you, you, maybe you work in a position where your schedule changes every week and there, there's no consistency in it. If that's the case, I challenge you, whenever you get your schedule, look at it. Find the days that you're not working and, and just and set, it up, set it aside. That's the day that I'm going to Sabbath. Some of you might be thinking, does it matter what day? Does it matter? Like in the Old Testament, some of you might know the Jewish people practice Sabbath on Saturdays. In the New Testament, um, Jesus rose from the, from the dead on a Sunday. So they, people call that the Lord's Day. Many people practice Sabbath on Sunday. But the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 14, he says it doesn't really matter. All days are holy as a person uh, kind, of, kind of determines in their own heart. And so I'm not saying it needs to be Saturday. It needs to be Sunday. Take a 24-hour period of time. For some of you, maybe take two half days. I don't know how it works. I'll tell you how it works with my family. So as you guys can imagine, um, Sunday is not my Sabbath. Um, I, I typically am working. I try to pack it through with meetings and schedules. Sometimes this will be a 16-hour day for me. So I work on, on, on uh, Sunday. Uh, but for me, it's Friday. My family and I, we have, uh, it works well for our schedule. But we have carved out a period of time on Fridays that it's a 24-block period of time that is different than the other days. So Saturday to Thursday, I'm working. I'm, I'm straining. I'm toiling effort, those things. We're doing stuff with the kids. We're running around to different things. Friday's different. Friday's different. And I, gotta, I just got to tell you guys, this is, we've, me and my wife have been doing this now for about three to five years, I think. And it wasn't until recently. And I got to tell you, when we first started doing this, it terrified me. And the reason is because I lean towards a workaholic tendency. And I would come into Friday and I would just be a nervous wreck. 
I'll be like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. I have so much more to do. I have more, uh, the message, Sunday's coming and I got, I got more prep I got to do and I got all this other details and I got so much. And I just remember it, it was just a terrifying thing for me. But I have to tell you, that even though I still struggle with it, my wife will tell you I still struggle with, uh, with, with resting well, that on this day, I now look forward to it so much. It is liberating. I so look forward to Fridays. Fridays, um, I wake up, whenever I wake up, no alarm clock. Usually the kids wake me up by jumping on me, you know, or something like that. We will stay in our pajamas until we're ready to get out of them. doesn't really matter what we do that day. My wife and I will drink coffee and sit on the couch and talk for a while. It's just a different day. I have a date night with my wife that night, so I get to enjoy the wife that, my, that the Lord gave me. I get to enjoy my family. I get to, I get to enjoy God, enjoy his creation, enjoy the good gifts, enjoy the work of my hands, and just sit back and enjoy what God created. We eat great food on Fridays. I love food. And so I, we usually, I usually cut my diet out on Fridays and eat whatever I want and, and just get a chance to just sort of enjoy a little bit of what God has created. And I'll just be honest, man. You guys remember that 80s song by The Cure, Friday I'm in Love? That's me. On Friday I'm in love. I love it on Fridays because I have this Sabbath. But it's a, I tell you, it t- it's a discipline and it's something that requires a lot of faith. And unless there's an emergency or something like that, you know, for the most part, we try to just stick to this rhythm. And it's been so helpful for our family. So my recommendation to you, pick a 24-hour chunk of time and then declare it your Sabbath, set it apart, and then keep it. And practice it, unless there's an emergency, of course, and those type of things. Right? Um, I think there's another clue in this passage. If you take a look at it, uh, in uh, in verse ten, it says the seventh day is the Sabbath, and then check this out: to the Lord your God. It gets a great clue too about the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? It's a it's a day dedicated to God. And and so what does that mean? Here's what it means: this is not just an aimless rest. This is not just binge watching 40 episodes of a Netflix show. That's not what this is, right? There's probably other times for that, like when you're sick. I don't know if there are any good times to do anything like that, but, but that, this is a different thing. It's to the Lord. So you're like, what does that mean then? Does that mean that I just pray and read the Bible all day? Is that what I do? And uh, I don't think that's what it means. I think that obviously prayer and Bible is helpful on a day like this. But I think what it means is this is a day that's for God. This day is for God. I, I'm taking this day because of God, because he, he is, he's told me this is the way that I'm created. So in faith, I'm doing this. But I think it's a day to God. It's a day where you're saying, God, I want to stir my affections for you. I want to stir my, I want to enjoy what you've created and I want to enjoy what you've blessed me with. I want to I enjoy the work of my hands. I want to be able to sit back and take it all in and, and, and have my heart, the affections of my heart stirred for you. I think that's what it means. When it says that this is a day for God. This is a day that's holy to God. Now, some of you um, might be thinking to yourself, okay, this is an interesting habit you're talking about. Maybe you never heard of anything like this before. I dare you to do it. Right? I quadruple dog dare you to try taking a Sabbath at some point. Just put it in your calendar. Try it for a month and, uh, and get a chance to check this out. But some of you might be thinking, okay, if I've never done this before, though, uh, what do I do on that day? What, what are some things I should do? Or what shouldn't I do? And um, let me just give you a couple thoughts. I, I, uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, he's actually written and spoken on this topic extensively and he has done some phenomenal work. If you get a chance and you want to know some more, you can search for Tim Keller on the Sabbath. He's got a lot of great stuff, but he said something I thought was really helpful. He gave three suggestions of, of uh, different types of rest that we should practice on our Sabbath. So balancing our Sabbath with three different kinds of rest. And he calls them this. There's avocational rest is one of them. There's contemplative rest and then uh, inactive rest. So there's uh, avocational there is um, a, a contemplative and there's inactive. And what are those all about? Okay, let me just explain them. 
So here's avocational. Avocational rest is I'm doing something that does require energy. It requires work, but it's not my job, right? It's not my vocation. And so what I would say is that this is like a hobby. This would be a hobby that you enjoy. Uh, This would be like, for example, fishing, hunting. This would be doing work out in the yard. Um, This would be something like if you're a musician, uh, playing your instrument, creating art of some type, learning a new skill, something that energizes you, something that you can engage with God and appreciate God by practicing it. I think that's what we're talking about with, with avocational, right? And so avocational rest can be a really awesome thing to do on your Sabbath. In fact, um, there's a rabbi named Abraham Heschel. I like the way he said it. This is what he said. Those who work with their minds should Sabbath with their hands, and those who work with their hands should Sabbath with their minds. I thought that's a really helpful thing, you know? If you work with your mind, if you're behind a desk all day solving problems, working on Microsoft Excel sheets, writing call, whatever it is that you're doing, right? That, that for you, if you're constantly driven by your mind, it might be good to do something, a change of pace, Sabbath with your hands. You know, go, go, go fishing, go outside, go for a hike, go for a run, do something like that, right? That's a great way to do it. If you, if you work with your hands, maybe you want to Sabbath with your mind. Take some time to really dig into the Bible, read a book that you've been meaning to read, something like that, right, with your mind. So avocational rest, I think it's really helpful. Um, another type of rest would be uh, this idea of contemplative rest. Contemplative is basically setting your mind on the things of God. Like I said, I don't think this means reading your Bible and praying all day, but I think that those are important. Maybe starting off the day with a psalm, just reading a little bit about praying to God and saying, God, this is your day. This is your day, God. I'm so thankful that you've given it to me. Help me to rest well. I think that there's contemplative rest. And the third one is inactive. And I think inactive is a really important one too. Inactive rest, as you can imagine, is basically I'm not doing anything. That's what inactive is, right? I'm not planning anything. We have no family outings. There's no sporting events. We're not going to have people. We're just inactive. And I think that this is actually a Sabbath principle that God has given us in the Old Testament. I don't know if you guys know this, but in Leviticus 25, God commanded his people. He said, listen, if you're a farmer, I want you to work the land for six years. But on the seventh year, don't plant anything. Give the land a Sabbath. That's what God said. He said, even the dirt needs a Sabbath. And every farmer knows this, right? That if you constantly plant every year and every year and every year, you're going to sap the soil of all of its nutrients. Even the dirt needs a Sabbath. God put it in his creation, right? But, but the Bible says that uh, if you're a farmer, you plant for six years. On the seventh year, you don't plant anything. You just let whatever comes up, comes up. Keep it inactive. And I think there's something there for us. I do. I think that part of our rest is inactive. Just whatever comes up, comes up. Whatever thought comes up, comes up. Whatever emotion comes up, comes up. Nothing planned. I'm just going to sit still and kind of hear from God. And I just got to tell you guys that, um, just to be completely honest with you, I feel like the times that God has spoken to me the most clearly have been in those times when I have been inactive. Because honestly, a lot of times, I think if we're not careful, there are things that God wants to address in our heart. There's things that he wants to bring up that, that a lot of times, if we're really honest, we are trying to suffocate by overworking. And when we, when we cause ourselves to be inactive, I think God says, okay, are you, ready to talk, are you ready to talk about this now? Are you ready to deal with this thing that you haven't been willing to deal with, that you've been trying to somehow suffocate with your work and with activity? And there's something really, really powerful about that. So those different types of rest. I would also say this. I understand that, that there's different seasons of life. And for some of you, this idea of taking a Sabbath is really, is, it's literally an impossibility for you right now. And, and so, for example, if you're doing a nursing residency, 
that requires an incredible effort, surge of effort. If you're an entrepreneur and you're doing a business startup, right, the first three years are just crazy at those type of things. So I, th- I think that as you're thinking about this, for some of you, this is something that maybe you can't have in your life right now. But I would encourage you this way. And what I would just tell you is this, is don't make that a lifestyle, okay? Don't make, don't make this crazy time of working all the time a continual pattern of your life, but make an effort to be accountable to find this pattern, okay, to find rest in your life. So the Sabbath, really, really important principle. God doesn't want something from us. God wants something for us. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, I'm just going to close with one thought, and then we'll be finished for today. Um, but really, here, here's the big thought I want to close with. You know, we talk about why God gave us the Sabbath, and everything I mentioned is true. But I think that the biggest reason that God probably gave us the Sabbath, honestly, is because he's trying to teach us something about the gospel. Now, now some of you, um, if you're a person investigating Jesus, uh, maybe you've never heard of that, the gospel before, but basically, here's what the gospel is. The gospel is the central teaching of Christianity. So if you are investigating Jesus, you're investigating Christianity, this is just the basics of what you need to know. The gospel is essentially this message. It is the message that you and I do not have to work ourselves to God. That God has worked himself to us. That's what the gospel is all about. It's about grace. It's about that we don't earn favor with God by our moral performance, but God has earned a relationship with us through, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, he yelled out, it is finished. And what did he mean by that? What he meant is this, the work was done. And so now you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can rest in the finished work of Christ. And that's what the Sabbath is really ultimately pointing to. It's about the Sabbath rest that God has for all of us, that we don't have to earn ourselves to God. Jesus has done all of the work for us, and we can rest in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what's behind the Sabbath. God wanted to teach that to our heart. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, there's another place in Matthew where Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. He says, and I will take your yoke from you. You yoke yourself with me. He says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And so the heart of the Sabbath points to the gospel. It teaches us about what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you've never embraced that message before, I would encourage you to embrace it because that is the heart of the Sabbath and that is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Well, God, I just want to say thank you so much for your words to us this morning. And uh, God, the truth is that the Sabbath is not something that we often think about. It, honestly, it's in our culture, it's something that, um, uh, that we oftentimes don't feel we need. Uh, but Lord, you created us. You made us. And uh, you have designed us in such a way, um, Lord, that, uh, that we need this. We have limitations. And uh, Lord, you've created us for rhythm. You've created us for rest. You've created us for liberation. You've created us uh, to, to, to enjoy this thing that you've given us. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us faith to enact it. I pray that for some of us, we would go out of here and we would sit down with our calendars and we would start thinking about, man, how can I practice this in my life? How can I, how can I, how can I insert this into my calendar and this habit? Father, I know that as in all of your commandments, you don't want something from us. You always want something for us. And you are a perfectly heavenly father who wants to give your kids what they need. And so Jesus, I pray that you would just encourage our hearts, that you would convict us, help us to walk out of this place, to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it also. 
Give us the wisdom to know what's right. Give us the courage to navigate through. And we just want to lift these things up to you in Christ's name. Amen.